Now, Jesus was a man of history, a man who lived at a particular time in a particular place. And in Matthew's Gospel, geography matters. He keeps telling us where Jesus was, where he was when he did certain things, when he said certain things. And these various locations are significant. Uh, Here's a simple map of the area, and we'll leave it up for a while there for us, and so you can see what was happening. Uh, Back in chapter 14, verse 34, we see Jesus was in Gennesaret, which was in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, the blue patch that you see there in Galilee. Then the Pharisees came from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's south of the map that we have in front of us, actually. It's beneath, it's south of Samaria, so it's just off the screen below there. It's some distance away. And the difference between Galilee and and Judah and Jerusalem is very important. For in Judah, nearly everybody living there was Jewish. Whereas up in Galilee, where Jesus came from and did most of his ministry, half the people were Jewish and half the people were of other nations. People of other nations we call Gentiles. And so half were Gentiles, half were Jews. And the Galileans were the country cousins of the Judeans. They had even a distinctive accent in their speech that you could pick them, kind of like a person from Queensland. You know, you just, they've got to be slower than the rest and they've got to keep their mouth closed because they don't want the flies. And I'm sorry, Queensland, I can see the Queenslanders are upset. But there's that kind of country drawl that you expect from the, the Galileans and they could be picked for who they were. It's quite possible to see the events of the first half of chapter 15 as the purists of Jerusalem picking on the Galilean yokel about the way he didn't keep the law. For it was people from Jerusalem who came up and complained about how Jesus was or wasn't keeping the law. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? The Jews of Jerusalem were the purest Jews of law-keeping. But in today's passage, chapter 15, verses 21 to 39, the second half of the chapter, Jesus leaves even Galilee and goes into the country of Tyre and Sidon, which is outside of Jewish in any nature of the world, out into the Gentile world, up on the coast of the Mediterranean in those two Phoenician cities. Now, while I have the map up, notice also that Jesus returns in verse 29 and he walks in a desolate place beside the sea. And the Sea of Galilee was on the western side of it. On that side of it was surrounded by, by Galilee, the kind of half-caste Jewish, half-Jewish, half half-Gentile territory. But on the eastern side of it, it was the Tetrarchy of Philip and the Decapolis. That was Gentile country. The blue and the white, they were Gentiles. And it would seem that's the side in which he was walking when he returned from Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus is now, in the second half of chapter 15, going out into the Gentile world. We we presume that it's the eastern side of the lake, the area of the Decapolis, because there he fed 4,000 people. And then he travelled by boat to Magadan, which again is a place we're not certain of, but most likely on the western shore of Galilee, where, Western, have I got that right? The Eastern Shore of Galilee, where 
the Pharisees and the scribes come to him again, because if you look at chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They also showed him a sign, asked for a sign from heaven. So sometimes he's on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, sometimes he's on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And the location is an important indicator to us about what is taking place. Now the background geography sets the scene firstly for the Jewish Messiah. Thank you for the map. Back in chapter 10, Jesus had sent his 12 disciples to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 12 being the number of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus has 12 disciples to reach the people of Israel. Uh, Turn back with me to page 982, 982. And there we read in, say, verse 5, Jesus sends them, the 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it was a matter of practical urgency for them. For look down to verse 23 of that chapter. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. They were sent on an urgent mission. They didn't have time to go beyond Israel. They wouldn't finish the task of reaching Israel even. So Jesus didn't turn his attention to the world, to the Gentiles, to the nations, but continued ministering in Israel. Come back to our chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 24, where Jesus said, uh, what am I looking at? I'm looking at chapter 17, let me go to 15, where Jesus said in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was the Jewish mission that made sense of the feeding of the 5,000 back in chapter 14 and the walking of the water. For Jesus was once again leading the people of Israel out into the wilderness and across the sea, like Moses in the Exodus. Though Jesus was doing more than Moses because he himself was feeding the multitude and he himself was walking on the water, whereas in the days of Moses it was God that was doing it. And the disciples were acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ. But the Jewish mission involved the Gentile inclusion. It's an extraordinary idea that the Gentiles would be included, but it's easily lost on we modern Australia. Because apart from our indigenous Australians, the rest of us are, of course, migrants and immigrants from various periods of history. Possibly we've been born here five generations, but we can all trace where we've come from because it's a nation of immigrants. And as a nation of immigrants, anybody and everybody is welcome. Under the influence of the gospel, we've opened our shores to all comers. But most nations are built upon the idea of race and family, of all the peoples in the nation being united because they have family ties by ancestry and by racial identity, by language, by culture. They are one. And if anybody wishes to join them, they have to join in with that family. Multiculturalism is not a a worldwide phenomenon, anything but. 
Now, this was certainly true of Israel, who were not allowed to intermarry, who believed that God had given them the promised land and they weren't to share it with anybody. The Gentiles were only to be included in the kingdom of God as conquered peoples, under the rule of the house of David. For the Messiah, the son of David, when he came, was to rule over the other nations. And yes, they could be in the kingdom of God, but as conquered peoples under the king of Israel. And so we come to the Canaanite woman in chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Now Mark tells us that Jesus had withdrawn up into Tyre and Sidon in order to get away from the public ministry and to have some time of privacy. But this woman intrudes on his privacy with her desperate plea for her daughter, who we read in verse 22 was oppressed by a demon and involved healing. In verse 28, we find that the daughter was healed immediately. Notice carefully the appeal in verse 22. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She called him Lord, and she called him Son of David. Now, whether she knew it or not, she was calling on the Messiah and accepting the rule of David over her life. And as is so often the case, the disciples didn't think she was fit for the kingdom. And so in verse 23, they say to Jesus, send her away for she's crying out after us. And the disciples, remember, they didn't think the children were fit for the kingdom of heaven and so they also told them the children to, to go away. And there were other followers who, when blind Bartimaeus came begging for mercy, they told Bartimaeus to shut up and to go away. But on this occasion, unlike those occasions, Jesus seems to agree with them. He seems to think that she is not fit for the kingdom of heaven for he says in verse 24 to the woman, he said, I was only sent, or said to the disciples, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she comes and presses the point. And so again in verse 26, Jesus answers her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus sounds like he too is rejecting this woman. Yet Jesus wasn't rejecting her, but rather teaching her and others around and us today of the true nature of the kingdom of heaven. He was sent to Israel, the lost sheep of God's people. Only in their salvation could the Gentile nations also be saved. The Canaanites were the long-standing enemies of God's people, the long-standing enemies of God. They were not God's children. They were the defiled ones. They were the dogs. When she replies, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, it's not just a clever witticism. It's not just the desperation of a mother. It's not arguing with him. It is all those things. It's very witty. It is very desperate. She is arguing with him. But that's not just what it's about. Much more importantly, she was showing true and genuine faith by understanding the position of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God and by accepting 
with joy the expectations of the blessings to come upon the Gentiles. For the dogs under the kingdom, under the table of the king, are still in the kingdom. They are still in the household of the king. They still have the food that the children drop. And Jesus says in verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And we read her daughter was healed immediately. Here is true and genuine faith. The faith that saves. Not the legalistic performance of the Pharisees, but the desperate appeal of the defiled. Acknowledging the Lord and pleading for mercy. A Christian is not one who keeps all the rules and regulations of the the Jewish system of what you eat and what you don't eat and when you eat it and how you wash your hands and which you find in the first half of chapter 15. A Christian is somebody like the Syrophoenician woman who is desperate enough to put all their cause in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, who accepts the judgment of God that we are but nothing but dogs appealing for mercy. That is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pleading for mercy. But before we look at it, let's notice the other two events in the chapter. For immediately after Jesus' trip to the Mediterranean coast, he wandered along the shore of Galilee where the people wondered and glorified at what they saw in Jesus. For there in verses 29 to 31, we read of Jesus doing all manner of healing ministries. Now, this is a little chorus that runs all the way through Matthew's Gospel. And these episodes of extraordinary healing ministries. Just turn with me to look at them. We won't read them, but just let me show them to you. Chapter 4, go to chapter 4, page 976 is chapter 4. At the end of the chapter 4 there, And he went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction, so that his fame spread all through Syria. And there we read of all the people being healed. Come across a couple of chapters to chapter 8, verse 14. 8, 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law sick with a fever. He touched her. And again, you'll see that he was... healing people and those oppressed with demons and the like or again in chapter 9 verse 35 chapter 9 verse 35 and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction and the crowds gathered again to see him or again in chapter 11 when John the Baptist challenges him He points to his miracles, verse 4 of chapter 11. Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And here again at the end of chapter 15, verse 29, chapter 15, verse 29, great crowds came to him, bringing them with the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and put them at his feet and he healed them. In several of these there are reminders of the prophet Isaiah's predictions about the coming of the Messiah when the mute will speak and the lame will walk and the blind will see. I have 
to read my notes very carefully there, otherwise you wind up with the mute walking and the blind. Uh, it's very easy to get those confused. It's like those poor weather forecast men who have to talk about frosts and fogs. It's very easy to talk about frogs and frosts. Uh, here is the, but this Isaiah promises when the age comes, when the Messiah comes, all kinds of, of healings will take place. The disordered creation will be reordered properly. But what is unusual in this little episode of massive healings is the last sentence in verse 31. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now that is unusual. You see, that would never be said of the Jews. They wouldn't glorify the God of Israel. Uh, sometimes they dishonoured God, sometimes they honoured God. But the Jew, well, there is no other God. And so it's never the God of Israel. The Jews would just glorify God. It's the Gentiles who are glorifying the God of Israel. Something extraordinary is happening in Jesus' miracles now because the God of Israel is being glorified. This isn't the Jews doing it. This is the nations amongst whom Jesus is glorifying, is working and bringing glory to God. And so we come to the feeding of the 4,000 in verse 32 following, where we read of the disciples in verse 37 taking up seven baskets of food. Now, feeding the multitude is just one of those extraordinary miracles of Jesus. But it does seem strange that it happens twice. Both Matthew and Mark record it as happening twice, presumably because it did happen twice. But even if it did happen twice, why did it happen twice? When you look at them, there are important differences between them, between the two feedings which point to this feeding being amongst the Gentiles. For they are beside the sea in a desolate place from which it would be easy, not easy, to return to civilization quickly. The eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, further away from the Mediterranean rains, was much more desolate than the western side. But there's more to it than that. For whereas the 12 baskets were taken from the 5,000, seven baskets from the 4,000. 12 is always the number and symbol of Israel. And seven is the number of completion, of wholeness, of everything and everyone. And so of all the nations. And the word for basket is different. There are Jewish baskets which have one particular Greek word and there are Gentile baskets that have another word and it's the Gentile baskets is the word that is being used here just as it's the Jewish baskets that is being used in chapter 14. All of which points to the feeding of the Gentiles as the previous one had been the feeding of the Jews. With that background then let me return back to the genuine faith of the Canaanite mother. Has Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. Here is a woman who in the history of Israel was one of the enemies of the people of God. Yet she is acknowledging the son of David as her Lord and accepting the crumbs of salvation that could fall from the Messianic kingdom. Her faith is reported as the contrast with Israel. For Israel consistently in Matthew's gospel rejected their own Messiah. Look at chapter 16 verse 1. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came 
to test him, they asked their question. Or back in chapter 15, verse 1, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, why do your disciples break the traditions? They don't come desperate for salvation, seeking it, asking for it, praying for it, pleading for it. They come to criticise, to question, to test, to avoid. And it wasn't just the Pharisees and the scribes. Why Peter himself, if you go back to chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 31 where Peter starts to walk on the water out to Jesus and then starts to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him and saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Even the great apostle Peter, the great apostle of the Jews, Peter, the great Jewish apostle of the Jews, Peter, was a man of little faith. Whereas this Syrophoenician woman was a woman of great faith. Look back again, chapter 11, chapter 11, page 984, 984. And pick it up in verse 20. Chapter 11, verse 20, down the bottom of the left-hand page there. Then Jesus began to Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, here in this passage in chapter 15 and verse 20, the woman of Tyre and Sidon is showing the true faith that Israel never showed. Showing that the true faith that the Jewish cities never displayed, not even those Jewish cities that saw the great miracles of Jesus. They didn't display the faith that this woman displayed. The second thing to say about this faith is that it provides hope for the hopeless. It's the very nature of the faith. For we are to trust in a gracious and kind God, merciful and generous, more willing to answer our prayers than we are to pray them, who is compassionate and loving. So in faith we rely and trust and depend upon God's mercy as this woman did. She knew she had no right to demand anything of God. But even though she was a Gentile, even though she was a Canaanite Gentile, yet the God of Israel The God of the Son of David is the mighty God, kind and compassionate, the creator of all peoples, and he is one to appeal to. Friends, I don't know how deep and hopeless your state of life may have ever reached. You may have reached a stage where you are unacceptable to other people, unacceptable to yourself, unacceptable to God. But trust in God, for he is the hope of the hopeless. He is the one to turn to and to look to. 
It is when the hopeless put their hope in God that true faith is to be seen. When out of no basis upon ourselves other than our desperate need for forgiveness, we call upon God for mercy, then we truly are the people of faith. He is the one with whom is great grace and compassion, mercy, pardon and forgiveness. As long as we stand on our own two feet before God, we stand without faith. As we get on our knees and ask for mercy, we are expressing our faith. But we must also recognise that the salvation is from the Jews. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, it's from the Jews. God is working his purposes out and his way of salvation was the election of one family, Abraham, and one family within Abraham by which to bring the saviour of the world and salvation to all nations. We cannot detach God's blessing from his way of saving us. There's no salvation outside the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a Jew, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. You cannot detach Jesus from Judaism. True faith in God, genuine faith, accepts God's way of saving us rather than our way of saving us. This Canaanite woman accepted the Jewish Messiah, accepted that with his coming there would be a, a secondary blessing to the Gentiles and asks for what would come from the Jewish Messiah, saving lost Israel. It means, my friends, that there can be no place for anti-Semitism amongst Christians. Our God is the God of Israel. The man we worship as God was and continues to be a Jewish man. And there is no salvation outside of him for all salvation is from the Jews. The, the concept of Christians persecuting Jews is abhorrent to the New Testament. Cannot be, it must not be. Likewise, is the idea that we can all be saved by our own route and method as we find our way to God. God has come to us and we must accept him as the Jewish man he was and continues to be in the resurrection. But this genuine faith of the Canaanite woman indicates the coming of something bigger still, that is world mission which we read at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, for the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of Israel is not limited to them, it's just the first phase of the program. So turn with me to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, page 1007, 1007. For there in the resurrection, when Jesus meets with his disciples in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Oh, we can never be anti-Semitic. We must always be keen to see the Jews accept their Messiah. 
But we are not limited to Judaism, for all nations are now to receive the crumbs of salvation that fall from the table of the Lord. The way of salvation is through that one Lord Jesus Christ and no other. The way to receive that salvation is as a dog eating up the crumbs under the table. She was the great woman of faith that we must emulate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and resurrection by which we are saved. We pray, Father, that you would give us that faith that that woman had, that we may not be proud, arrogant people standing on our own rights, reputation, our own efforts and endeavours, but that we might be desperate beggars pleading for mercy in your Son's name. And we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.